0: Welcome, everyone, to another installment of Tadros Talks, where we have candid, thought-provoking conversations discussing a wide range of topics. I'm your host, Michael Tadros, with Simranjeet Singh. Um, So Simranjeet, or I call him Sim, is our um, MSU or McMaster Students' Union President and Chief Executive Officer. Um, He he actually just recently, recently graduated from the Bachelor of Health Science program. I would say, guys, Sim's a really big deal. Like, if you haven't heard of Sim, like, I don't know, maybe you guys are the guys that just under a rock, but, um, like, get to know him. But, Sim, introduce yourself.
1: Uh, Thank you, Michael, for the wonderful introduction. Um, For everybody listening, I'm not that big a deal. If you don't know about me, it's totally chill. Um, But yeah, as Michael said, I'm Simran Singh. You can call me Sim, though, if you'd like. Um, I graduated, like he said, from the Bachelor of Health Sciences, but not the general stream, from the specialization in biomedical discovery and commercialization. So that's, of course, BDC. Um, And yeah, I am currently serving as the president of the MSU. It's been quite a journey so far. Um, I'm already more than halfway, which is kind of, you know all shocking to think about but it has been a wonderful experience in which I've had the opportunity to meet many amazing students individuals in our McMaster community and those within Hamilton and I've luckily also made progress on quite a few of my campaign points though I definitely have a lot more to do in the next several months um, with other projects so yeah thank you so much Michael for inviting me for this wonderful opportunity and I look forward to our great discussion today
0: no of course thank you so much for having for like coming on okay so my first question which is kind of an obvious one so um, I ask everyone this, but tell me why you chose Mac. Um, you told me one time before that you you wanted to house side, but the non traditional stream. I have no idea what that means, because mm-hmm. I mean I know there's house side and I know there's like Hesse, and that's all about that's that's about it for me. Mm-hmm. So tell me about your journey to Mac, and then I'll ask you about your journey to be, you know becoming um, the MSU president.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, I, originally after graduating from high school, I guess when I was in high school, I knew that uh, there's a few universities that were in my top spots and Mac was definitely um, my first choice. I think I applied to two or three different programs here when I was coming and um, there was something about McMaster, I think the environment here, the opportunities afforded, and I really knew that that was an area that I wanted to go. So I actually came to the uh, Medical Radiation Sciences program and I did that for three years, and it was a wonderful experience. I had a great time in the program. Um, I loved many of the friends I made, as well as all the instructors I had, and I, you know, recommend it to anybody who wants to, either going to radiography, ultrasonography, or radiation therapy. Um, But I kind of thought to myself, will I be fulfilled with this career path? Um, And I thought, even though it's a wonderful program, maybe my personal interests aren't fully in line with it. So, I applied to the Biomedical Discovery and Commercialization Program, which, as we mentioned, is a, um, a sub-program, a specialization within the Faculty of Health Sciences, and um, I had a wonderful opportunity in that program. I was, of course, happy to be accepted, and um, it was a great avenue through which I learned more about uh, biomedical research, uh, by the biotech industry, as well as the opportunities afforded by there. Um and yeah, kind of um as I was I was as I was planning on my future, um I've been quite involved in the MSU and within student leadership and Um, I knew there was quite a few initiatives that I wanted to pursue as an elected leader so I thought why not run for the role of MSU president it would be a wonderful opportunity for me to maybe actually enact some of the ideas that I had in mind and make a positive impact and also a great opportunity for me to grow as a person during that one year because I recognize this is a very unique opportunity that has given me um, uh, an avenue in which I've learned many things and um, had very unique collaborations that I would otherwise not be afforded. So um, yeah, that's why I ran for MSU president and I was extremely grateful to be elected by the student body. And um, as a side point, uh, election nominations are open. So please do apply if you want to be the next MSU president. Um I'd be more than happy to chat if anybody who's listening uh, would like to learn more about the role and is interested.
0: So a couple of questions. Um, number one, because that was a lot we just covered there. So, the 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 specialization that you're in or that I guess that you graduate from in house sci, so is is it like a regular batch of house so for example are the people in your classes, um, like just house side from from first years or is it like a program that's different anyway so it's just mm-hmm. so it's just a regular it's just, it's just pure like house side not like not like a different program with a house sci degree kind of like Hesse?
1: um so I mean it is a different program in that I I, I didn't graduate with a I guess quote-unquote standard Bachelor of Health Sciences I specifically graduated with. bachelor of health sciences with the specialization in biomedical discovery and commercialization Um, and the program itself um, there's a diverse group of individuals who enter the program Um, basically it is a third year entry program so you have to do at least two years of undergraduate education and um, have a series of prerequisites Um, i think that includes chemistry it includes um, first and second year general biology as well as several other courses Um, And when you have those prerequisites, you're eligible, after which, of course, you know, various factors like your grades and your interview performance play a role in your acceptance. I would say the biggest portion of students in the program did come from a biochem program uh, background. That just makes sense, of course, because many of those students have the existing prereqs and already an interest in um, the field. But um, as long as you have the prereqs, you can be in any program and you can apply. Um, And then when you're in the program, you have a wonderful opportunity to learn of um biochemical research, what goes into that specifically from a pharmaceutical lens. Um, and that's kind of also the opportunities that the program helps uh, funnel you towards in the future after you graduate from it.
0: You guys I'm learning so much about sim because I had no idea he was, he was in med, <laughs> med before this. I thought it's a regular, you know, house No, so, I didn't come into health side. So did you sure. did you have to do supplementary? I I promise you I'm not gonna bug you too much about school. I'm <laughs> gonna get to like the juicy stuff. But so did you have to do the supplementary application, the essays, like the other house size?
1: Oh, no. So this the application process for BEC in third year is unique. Mm-hmm. So there's um, there is a supplementary application via an online portal. Um, I don't know exactly what that looks like now because it may have changed in the last couple of years, especially considering uh, there was this huge worldwide pandemic that kind of meant that. Um, program expectations and assessment methods have been modified but um, at least when i applied there was an online portal in which would have to answer several questions about various topics and then i believe my marks as well as my performance in the interview were all taken into account so it's a unique process different from what say grade 12s do when they apply to mac
0: has a mac has a lot of different programs and a lot of different um you know sub programs and so on and it's it's really interesting because it's like every day, like I, like somebody I met a girl like a month ago or so, and she was like, and asked her what program she's like. I'm in, in, in like I'm in ISI or like integrated mm-hmm. science, and I was like, what is that? Like like every day, like I've been at Mac for a year and a half, and I'm still learning about programs that are at the school. It's it's crazy.
1: No, hundred percent. I mean, uh, I've been here for. So I I actually switched from my right after doing three years. So I did five years of undergrad, and now I'm in this role. And even now, I'm still learning of so many of the different opportunities and avenues that exist in Mac. But yeah, there's a huge number of areas in which if you um, have an interest and you uh, are able to focus your time, you can really accomplish great things and learn also a huge amount.
0: I see. So, so I couple questions so i i i knew that before you were the msu president you were on the sra Mm -hmm. so like i want i want to know i want you to tell me like the journey of your entire msu journey (laughs) so i'm assuming it was the sra your first experience with um, the msu i'm assuming Mm -hmm. so similar to myself tell me about what got you into the sra Mm -hmm. um i mean i could assume why but but tell Mm me what got you the sra and how you know you were at the msu transferred from s you know sra member because i don't were you an sra i don't think you were an sra member last year I was not, you no. were not okay because yeah. i don't remember because i because i, I would have like i would have remembered you mm-hmm. so how did you so i'm assuming you're on the sra you left and then you came back and then you became the msu president. tell mm-hmm. me about your journey and then um like even tell me about like you know like how'd you win because get like like being an msu president is a really big deal <laughs> so you,
1: i mean like how'd you do it um, I guess I'll start off with the SRA piece. So it was in my second year. Or this was back when I was in MedRaid when I ran for the SRA. And um, I kind of was definitely in a position where I thought, okay, I have a lot of interests that I want to spend more time on. But I also kind of want to learn. And I thought it would be a wonderful opportunity to be involved in student leadership. It's, I mean, we all remember. like We've all seen so many movies where... There's um, like high school, university leadership, and it always seems like super interesting. There's always like so much going on. So I thought, oh wow, like this might be a great avenue through which um, I have these different topics that I'm passionate about, so I can maybe try to accomplish some of those goals. But at the same time, it might be a great way for me to learn more about what what is offered here, meet some amazing people. So I ran in my second year. Um, this was back in 2019, I know back back so in the olden days. old days. That's a long time ago. <laughs> That's a I'm, so I'm only 22, I'm only 22. That old. Um but uh, yeah so I ran and it was definitely a very stressful election just because we had basically one week in which we had to promote why we should be elected and I had to walk around campus going from class to class with my campaign materials I'd made so many of them as well and um, I literally was emailing profs to ask hey can I come speak at your class for 30 seconds um, just to look, just so students are aware of kind of what my goals are and maybe why they should vote for me so um, that was quite an experience, um, definitely one that's character building, if you will, because I had to figure out, okay, I have to go to my classes, do my schoolwork, and then also literally going on Mosaic finding classes when they had class time so I could speak at them, and then I had to make my own promo. I had no experience with Photoshop, I had to figure that out, um, but uh, I was grateful to be elected for the Faculty of Science, because of course, back when I was in MedDart, I was part of Science, um, and then the next year, I was happy to be elected again. That was amazing. Um, that year, I was actually claimed because uh, we had a smaller number of candidates. So it was a, a lot less stressful. Um, and then after I finished my two years on SRA, there were, there's a, multiple part-time positions the um, MSU has. So I applied for one of them, which is the Associate Vice President of Services, in which basically um, I support the Vice President Administration in that role. In uh, supervising some of the services, reviewing them as well, and uh, giving insights on how the actual delivery of the services can be improved. So that was kind of the main focus of my job: the reviewing of four services that we had selected last year, and understanding how they can be improved. So that was my role last year. That I was on that survey, and then as I mentioned, um, actually now about a year ago, that's when I first started planning for this my current role i I was in my last year in MBDC in in the bi in the bdc program and i had some plans about what i want to do in the future but i thought it might be useful to just take a just step away for a year from education and um, pursue this amazing opportunity that if i don't get it it's totally okay would be that would be in of itself being a learning experience and i've no doubt that now, whoever would have been elected instead of myself would have been a great advocate as well, but um, I thought if I was able to get it, it would be an amazing opportunity to um, really make progress on a lot of issues that I'd become aware of um, as an elected student leader in the past when I was in the SRA, as well as passions that I had, and hopefully while achieving those goals, um, also grow it as a person. So yeah, I think that was kind of a, a long-winded answer of how I got here, but um, I hope that was helpful.
0: I see. You know, Something really interesting about you is that you're really well spoken, but you're not like the regular. Like you're not like other politicians. I feel really <laughs> like, I'll be honest with you.
1: You're just tooting my horn at this point. No, I no, I'm, I'm being I'm super thinking.
0: honest. I have an example. All right? When I was running for the SRA the first time, everyone kept asking me, "What are you gonna do for us? What's your platform?" And I was like, "I'm just gonna be a nice guy. Like I don't like, I don't, <laughs> like I don't know. Like I was like, what do you tell them? Like it's like I don't know. You know what I mean? I just I promise you guys that I'll." If you, I'll advocate for you guys if there are, pro, there are issues that you guys bring to me I'll make sure they're heard like that's all I can really do mm-hmm. but I remember like I remember one time I, I don't remember the details of the conversation but I remember one time like a while ago this is like I think maybe like our first attraction I was asking you like what are your like I, I jokingly asked you what are your what are your campaign goals and then you actually started telling me like actual campaign goals and how you're actually and then this in the year you're actually going to accomplish them so simran i want to ask you what are your campaign goals um, and so what are the goals that you had when you were campaigning i think about a year ago no
1: mm-hmm, yeah at this point it'd yeah. be january so yes yeah, so 11 a little months less, but yeah. so
0: what are your campaign goals um what, what were your campaign goals in january and what are some of like your your most um, proud accomplishments since then mm-hmm.
1: no i mean thank you so much i mean uh for, i mean before like uh, Michael's just tooting my own horn. Like I promise, like I'm nothing special, and this is a job that any of you who are listening from the MS- from McMaster, I imagine, can do amazingly. Um, so when I first ran, I kind of had five main themes: so student wellness, uh, career development of students as well, uh, building a stronger Hamilton community, environmental sustainability, and experiential education. And um, definitely, as time has gone on, I've had to first. Because of what I've learned, I've recognized more so how to achieve some of these goals, but I've also had to you know, really modify and understand how can I accomplish what in a way that's actually uh, actionable. So I to, of course, prioritize what goals I want to ensure that I want to get X thing done in X time frame. I want to uh, accomplish X item in this window. But at the same time, there's been all these new events, new issues, new opportunities that have presented themselves. So that's also been something that I've had to evolve into my plan for this term. So those five main themes that I'd mentioned, um, they're kind of the general premise of what I ran on, but there was more specific items within them. So to give a couple examples, in student wellness, um, I wanted to have a larger scale, even more impactful Mac Moves Week, which is a collaboration between the MSU McMaster and other partners to basically promote physical wellness. That actually happened Earlier in October, and then we're doing something very similar, but focus more on mental health, called Thrive Week in January. So very much look forward to that when it takes place. Um, Those are just two examples, but I also hope to bolster the MSU's health and dental uh, plan to so that it offers more for the student body, um, and they can have greater coverage, hopefully for a little bit better price. That's something that's also being worked upon. Regarding the Hamilton community, I hope to ensure that there's greater access to an environment that'll actually allow students to feel at home and feel like they're members of Hamilton, not just people who are visiting for a few years. So for example, I have this reusable container initiative that I'm collaborating on with McMaster for that piece. Um, And I hope to, uh, that's a project that'll i focus on a lot more in the near future because I focus on some other items as of now. Um, And in addition, a lot of this community building Uh, goals of mine have revolved around collaborating with the city of Hamilton as well. So I've been very happy to have some relationships that have been built with city partners, and I hope to see how we can use those to expand work opportunities for students, as well as avenues for which they can find more equitable housing opportunities as well. So those are all coming along, Um, and uh, education has probably been the piece that I've spent the biggest portion of my time, just because it's been something that has been honestly a lot more complicated than i thought it would be and um it's a given me an appreciation for how complex many of these problems are but also the actual background work that goes into delivering say our education into um uh so many of the things that uh, we often take for granted or feel are simpler than they are so um on education specifically i have been working to promote uh, LinkedIn Learning. So if any of you are aware, LinkedIn Learning is a s- resource that we all pay th- for. LinkedIn Learning is amazing. Yes, Guys. no, please do use it. You it already... so
0: expensive, but it is, thank God, because we, like it's because part, part of our, uh, um, you know, like our, our, our MSU negotiation, I believe.
1: So no, uh, uh, LinkedIn Learning is actually offered by McMaster. Okay, sorry, McMaster.
0: Um, but LinkedIn Learning is such an amazing resource, and if I wasn't a McMaster student, I probably would have not bought it cuz it's i think it's a 30 it's, i think it's I believe it's 35 a month. Yeah, it's geez. really expensive but yeah. but we have it it's included within our tuition. It's amazing. Sorry I chopped No it. no Continue. no worries.
1: basically for this um Uh, I'm hopeful that a greater portion of the student body can be aware of what LinkedIn Learning is and actually uh, utilize it more because it's something like you mentioned, we already all pay for for, through our insulary fees. So those are kind of those small fees. I mean, they add up to quite a bit, but individually, they're relatively small fees outside of tuition that we pay for to Mac that delivers a lot of the additional services um, that are available. So it's a great avenue through which you can develop new skills, um, gain a new understanding of a specific topic, and then also put that on your resume and use that to progress yourself. So it's something that's available to us, and I highly encourage everybody to use it. And promoting of that piece and having collaborations with the libraries to do so is something that I focused on. The biggest thing, though, individually has to be regarding open educational resources. So um, I know that's probably something that nobody's familiar with, but just to give a quick background, open educational resources, or OERs, they're, they are tools that can be used by researchers, by collaborators, both for the purpose of research, but also to actually deliver course materials. So an OER is anything that is freely accessible, so without charge and publicly available, that can be used for that purpose of research or education. Um, And it can be something from a PDF, what we think of as a traditional textbook. It could be a video, it could be a 3D simulation, it could be a game. There's so many different things that an OER can encompass. And the advantage they have is that they are free to use. So I've been very strongly pushing for greater creation, adoption, and promotion of these OERs because I hope that it can be one very important part of creating a future in which we don't have to pay for textbooks as students nearly as much as we do now. Right now, I think the average student spends something like $687, I believe, on textbooks per year, which is absolutely, like, that's shocking, and... When you think about the fact that that is a, such a huge expense, that um, it's something that students often are. I mean, people often know they have to pay for textbooks, but mm-hmm. putting it in a number like that is shocking because it it really puts into context how big a burden that can be, especially for yeah. people who may be um, facing financial insecurity or maybe, um, you know, we've all been through the process of actually coming to a course and realizing I need X textbook. We only find that out at a certain time, only probably a few days before the course begins.
0: In, in my um, first year, by the way, mm-hmm. almost I think every one of my classes required a textbook, they like required a mm-hmm. textbook. And I actually dropped, I think, I believe for my first year, a textbook expense was nine hundred dollars. Oh wow! So I was done a hundred oh, in addition my to my 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 tuition, and like you know, coming in from grade twelve, everything was basically you know, everything was free. Mm, everything was included, right? It was a shock. Like it was my tuition, twelve grand. My my, my textbook is another, you know, grand. And res is fourteen. But thank God, even I, you know, like I I was lucky to, you know, I had this whole situation where I you know I my, I was online first semester, so I. I be on a second so i just rented you know a room, room off campus and i was one of the lucky ones who you know saved a lot of money but even then it was st- it was still you know, quite costly mm-hmm. no
1: it's it's absolutely um i think then the cost right now is unacceptable and i really feel that it has to go down to a large degree so um i'm hopeful that in the near future there can be a lot more funding put forward to open educational resources and this will A mean there's more development of them, so more courses can use them. And then I mean, I actually learned of them because my, my one of my BDC courses, it um had an OER and then I was shocked. I remember thinking, Oh wow, there's this whole courseware that's um dozens and dozens of pages. That's basically the guiding document, but it's we don't have to pay anything for it. Um I I was an online years well, although current B D C students they have to pay for the printed version, but um, it's obviously much less expensive than, say, like a third-party lab book like that would be because it's made with OER tools. So they're only paying for the physical printing of the, of the actual paper they use in their labs. Um, I had the course in 2020, so it was online. And um, I remember asking my professor at the time and asking, you know, how... Houses free that's that's amazing and she explained what oers are and that's kind of what piqued my interest in this um and basically to summarize this oers are something that i'm very strongly pushing for and i'm hopeful in the near future there'll be a lot more money allocated to them because there could be an opportunity in which uh, many of the current oers that are made they're also made by students so students work as research assistants directly with professors to make them so there's an amazing opportunity in which we as students can be a part of the process of actually making these more affordable tools. So we can be part of our education process and contribute to it directly. And then students can have the opportunity to, of course, be paid for the work they do, uh, develop amazing mentorship opportunities with professors through that work, um, and really have uh, an amazing avenue through which uh, education to be made much more affordable. So that's a very big project that has taken a lot of time and energy just because um, understanding the logistics of how this should be managed, um, the funding, all of these pieces is very complicated and Um, I did not understand how much so until I really kind of got into the nitty gritty and I met with so many different people, um, both from eCampus Ontario, from the libraries, um, other partners to kind of understand the scope of this. And um, I'm I'm hopeful that in the very near future, there can be very amazing products from this as well. And uh, there can be uh, a much greater access for students of these more equitable Education resources. Sorry for my rambling answer. <laughs>
0: no, no, of course, of course. No, no, it's okay. Like, of course. Um, okay, so here's the thing. I have I have a couple questions. Mm-hmm. I, these might be a little bit, you know, controversial, but I want to get your honest, you know, um, uncut opinion on them. Okay. Know? Yeah. I feel like there are a lot of things that McMaster students. Actually, I wouldn't even say McMaster students. I would say students in general, mm-hmm. like in many places, many different schools, even even outside of Canada as well. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of issues that are particularly daunting mm-hmm. um i think i think housing mm-hmm. is is really a problem especially in McMaster mm-hmm. how they just not and there's just are, there just isn't enough student housing around campus um to you know, like like to house all these students i like, like it's it's actually it's it's really a problem yeah, um and like and like I said, I was very fortunate to find a place you know twenty minute walk from campus. And and you know obviously the people that live much closer, but I know people that are living much further. I know people that had to buy a car and rent a place because the closest thing they could get was you know some basement far from campus, no bus. So oh they God. have to commute and live off. Like it's it's they get the worst of mm-hmm. both worlds. So I know Mike Master is building is work you know ha- has plans to build a res. It's going to be ready in the next. You know, ten, twenty years for I'm just playing. honestly knowing.
1: <laughs> I think the plan is 2026 for the okay. new Rose, if I'm not mistaken. I think 2026 or 2024.
0: Sorry forgive you guys. So honestly, knowing, um, knowing the speed of some of the house, like of how long it takes to build these projects, I would not be surprised if it's like if it's like 2037, 2047. <laughs> but either way, let's hypothetically say that this residence building was ready by tomorrow, which mm-hmm. you know obviously not yeah it won't be yeah. uh hypothetically it's ready by tomorrow i th- I still think with the residence building we still have a major housing problem mm-hmm, no, and fully. i think so what what do you feel the city of hamilton and uh mcmaster university mcmaster university should be doing to combat this problem and what do you think they're not doing right now that that that's a mistake mm-hmm. on their end
1: no very much so i think um So the new student residents, of course, as most residents are now, they're very much focused on first-year students, Um, and I think the idea behind that is to have a situation in which basically all first-year students could be guaranteed a residence if they so wish, Um, and I think that's a great first step, but of course, that's only for first-years. I mean, there's grad students, and the actual demographic that I, of course, represent, the entire undergraduate body, most of whom are second, third, fourth, or fifth years, who um, are not going to be guaranteed that residence, and We, the situation, I mean, even in my time here of only five years, I've seen how much more difficult it has become and how much housing prices have risen for rentals. And I think in the summer, I remember seeing the statistic that Hamilton is the third worst city in North America when it comes to housing affordability. When you think really? about... That's, of course, taken... Obviously, renting is cheaper here than in like Los Angeles or Toronto mm-hmm. or New York City, but um, those cities, of course, also have much higher average incomes. So when you compare those two factors, prices and income, we have the third worst ratio, and I think that's just unacceptable. Um, housing has been a consistent problem in Canada. It's gone worse and worse, especially in Ontario, and I think Hamilton is a very a very big hallmark example yeah, of how bad it can become and mm-hmm. um, I really think that in the future the biggest thing that is needed is more housing development that's by far the biggest thing that has not happened um, it's something that the city and the province really have to take more leadership on mm-hmm. because they're the the groups that actually have power to change things like zoning to actually put money where general vague statements are and fund housing development and that's the biggest problem. We here in the city of Hamilton is growing. There's many people moving to Hamilton and McMaster specifically. It's kind of a small community when you think about it because there's a very big central hub, that, the actual university and all these areas around where students need to live. A um, number of students at Mac are also slowly rising, but the actual places for them to live are not present. And I really think that students already suffer from things like low housing quality. That's already a big problem. And I'm happy that there have been some things done to fix that. So the city is actually beginning a, new rental licensing program in ward one so that landlords have to license their units and they have to meet specific standards of quality and this will hopefully mean that there's less low quality housing because students often suffer from that but kind of to summarize my point there has to be a lot more investment by the city and by the province in making housing and making our communities more accessible and equitable and what i mean by that is if you look around campus right now, you will see a community that was kind of designed for single families. Like most places where students live off campus are these single family homes that were designed for basically like oh, know, two parents.
0: Oh, when they were built. Yeah, when they okay, were built. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah when they were built, they fair. were they were just yeah. designed as these like, yeah. you know,
1: two parents, a few kids, maybe a pet with a, a normal garage. And so many of these homes have been changed into these weird two or three unit um uh, kind of mini apartments if you think about it, that have multiple students living in just half the house and then the other half is a separate unit with multiple students living. And a house that was designed to only have maybe seven people, six people, five people, now has like 10, 15, sometimes even 20.
0: The 15, 20 people in one Yeah, I mean, house? Th- I think
1: 15 is very normal. And what? Uh, when I say that, I mean, it would be like separate units. So it might be one unit of six. But in one house? Yeah, one physical building.
0: I have never... Because my old house, so my house last um, year or last semester, I believe was eight people and Mm -hmm. my house this year is six. And people tell me that's a lot. No, yeah. I mean, like. So there's more than six and eight?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's uh, multiple units. I mean, the one that I live in now, I mean, I, um, after I graduated, I decided to stay because I, I luckily live close to campus and I. Um, very close friends with um, all of my housemates, so I thought it would m- just make sense for me to stay, and I live in a unit with seven, um, and I will be very honest in that I think I'm actually quite lucky because I'm I'm happy with the place I live, and I think it's you know definitely above average in terms of how nice it is, but um, it's a unit of seven, and then that's half the house, and the other house, other half has, I think, six people, so that's 13, in a house that, from the outside, if you didn't know it was a student house, you would just think it's a normal house with probably five people living in it because it would just be for one family. Um, And the reason why I bring this up is because the area around McMaster and all of Hamilton is very um, I guess it has followed so many of the stereotypes of how development has taken place in North America since World War II. You have cities that are very big, that are very uh, sparsely populated. Remember, cities are productive entities because they're dense. You have lots of people living together. But we have In North America, these huge cities that are car dominated, everything's designed around having a car, which means if you don't have one, which is the situation most students are in, um, it's much more expensive, much more difficult to get around. Um, Just busing from a location to location takes longer because everything is physically farther apart because so much of our infrastructure is designed around the expectation that this building, this shopping mall, this housing development will all have these huge parking lots and these massive streets. And of course, that means if you walk or you bike or you don't have a car, it's harder to get around. Um, But that also means that many of our communities are much more expensive. Think about it. The city of Hamilton and the province of Ontario also spend so much money repairing all this huge infrastructure. Um, And that's just not an ideal situation. I mean, I don't think there's anywhere in the world that that's perfect, but there are definitely many places, especially in many European countries where there has been an intent to design cities around walkability where you have lots of corner shops that are intermixed with places where people live. And instead of only having, for the most part, single houses, there's lots of townhouses, there's lots of small apartments, like three, four-story apartments, not like giant condominiums. Um, And we see in many of those communities that there's a higher level of productivity, like economic productivity. Um, And I think there has to be a mindset change in the city as well as in the province overall to better... Um, fund and better promote that type of development because it's not only going to make our communities much safer and healthier, it makes economic sense. Communities of that type tend to be more productive because you physically have more people, it's still a manageable number, but more people living in a smaller area. And it means that you can have more tax revenue. It means that when you have a transit infrastructure, it'll be used much more effectively. So the transit infrastructure is more likely to actually make money for the city as well. That's offensive. Yeah, that's, rather
0: than be a financial burden, which it is for some cities. Exactly, yeah.
1: exactly. Um, and when you think about it, like if you think about HSR right now, buses have to travel for such a much longer distance because stops are physically farther apart. Because you need them to be physically farther apart because people... In Hamilton, for example, the density of people is much lower than, say, if you go to Barcelona or if you go to Amsterdam, cities that are much more walkable. Um, And that's not to say those places are perfect. I don't think there's any place in the world that is. But uh, this is a long-winded way of saying I really hope that the city and the province look at investing and creating more walkability, building more actual places for people to live that are rental-focused as well for students, um, and creating an environment that Promotes the sense of community. People are more likely to interact with their neighbors, with loved ones, if you know they can easily walk to visit them. If they can go to a nice corner shop, if they can go to visit a local park that's only a five or ten minute walk away, versus having to take a five or ten or fifteen minute drive. And that's only if they have a car. If they don't, then they have to walk much longer. Um, and then if they do have a car, they might be stuck in traffic, which is it's it's a whole another issue. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think there's to be more investment in housing development and making our cities more walkable and much more mixed use than exists right now. And I think that'll go a long way to, uh, definitely a long-term thing, but it'll go a long way to making the area around Mac more livable and the environment much better for more students.
0: Wow, that's, that That was a lot to take in. Okay, here's what I'll say. <laughs> sorry, I, I know I talk a lot. I'm sorry. No, no of course, of course. <laughs> I, I, I'd say I agree with you on a lot but i do feel that when it pertaining to mcmaster students i think that mcmaster has a, a much bigger role in the city of hamilton does. No, so i'll explain why mm-hmm. because yes in canada it's very rare that you find a university that has enough residents to house first years to fourth years i i, I, I can't name a university that has that mm-hmm. do you I don't, I, don't I don't think there is even one i don't i think maybe a couple in bc but that's about it mm-hmm. um
1: there might be some small universities yes, and colleges exactly, yeah. but any but none of the nothing no western no nothing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I agree, but but I feel like there, there are solutions like mm-hmm. that like here's the thing. If Macbitmo built more residences mm-hmm. now listen, I'm not a project manager. I couldn't tell you how profitable it would be for them. but I know they're not losing money from residences because they're charging very they're like like PG from what I hear, was a financial success because they charge a lot for residences um like it's it's quite quite costly and i know I, like i know for a fact there's no way mcmaster's not building these residences out of charity like mm-hmm. they're, they're they're making money mm-hmm. and i feel like a lot of universities when when the campus itself has run out of like space they mm-hmm. would buy they buy you know properties right off campus. And build residences there. If you look at go look at OTU, or UTSC, uh, if you're in town, a lot of schools. What they do is they build these like um, residence buildings, mm-hmm. so like 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 like, a, like an apartment building, mm-hmm. and it would either it would either be like a like right off campus, so like maybe a one minute walk, a five minute walk, a ten minute walk with a shuttle, so on and so forth. And that would take a low like. That would number one. I'll guarantee all first years are on are, are on campus, which is great for the upper years because that means we have less first years to compete with for housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's really a problem that I I just don't see Mac really addressing. And I think, no, like no disrespect, but I think landlords, a lot of them are taking advantage of advantage of this, and they're cranking like they're cranking their their prices up by a lot. And I mm-hmm. for for rooms that I don't think are worth the quality
1: know mm-hmm. fully. I mean, um, in in terms of McMaster's uh, housing developments, I don't I don't know the specifics of their revenue or their expenses, so I I can't comment on. But I imagine, yeah, that I imagine they're probably breaking even at least. Um, and to be fair, they did the new residence being built was based on literally buying uh, new plots of land in off, off Tramore, so that's kind of how that was built. So in that sense, McMaster did buy uh, space nearby to build this new residence, but. Um, my view is definitely that I think McMaster has an obligation to the student body. I mean, the, it's the reason why we're here. So it has an integral role to play in also making sure that housing is available. And I think that definitely has to be um, very strongly emphasized. So um, that's, you know, I really hope that in the future, McMaster also does more than especially for upper years, because I think McMaster so far has mostly a focus on how can it develop these housing units that will be used by first years. And of course, as you mentioned it's in large part because there's a money-making incentive behind that. However, um, you know, after first year, the vast majority of us are still students at Mac, and there still needs to be further support. Um, I think Mac has started to do some planning for um, creating new, new supports for students. Um, I'm, a, I'm only somewhat familiar with that, um, and the, many of those conversations are ongoing. So I think some of these topics will develop as the year goes. But I 100% agree. I think MAC has an obligation and there has to be more done to ensure that um, there is greater support given generally for housing, but also specifically for upper years who are in a situation where they have to find the housing generally.
0: I know. I I definitely agree. So I'm not going to take up too much of your time because I know you have to go soon. (laughs) But um, so I have a couple more questions. Mm -hmm. So the next kind of thing I want to get your opinion on is tuition cost. Mm -hmm. Now, I have to say, we're... Given um, you know all things considered, how uh, there are other you know, schools that are much much more expensive, even outside Canada, like look at the states. Mm-hmm. It's it is not uncommon to find that undergraduate you know education starting at 40, 50, 60, 70K seventy k a year mm-hmm. in the U. S. It's, it's it's a very common thing where you know someone just their undergrad is from eighty to a quarter million dollars just an undergrad. Mm-hmm. So it's it's incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think that's an excuse for many Canadian universities, including McMaster. McMaster is no exception. My tuition is twelve grand, and I'm not. I don't entirely. So basically, the way they do the calculation is like twelve grand if you have ten classes. Each class is about you know thousand dollars and some change, not change, but you know what I mean. So just over a thousand dollars. So I don't feel that all, all ten of my classes are, are, are $1,000 classes. And what I mean by that is I think that I could find resources that are much cheaper and I get the exact same education. Mm-hmm. So that's concerning. But I'm actually okay with that. And I'll tell you why I'm okay with that. Because I think there is value to that degree. There's value to that, the connections on campus. There, there's value to a lot of things that are outside of just the traditional lecture, test, assignment, reading, learning experience. However, something that really bothers me is McMaster doesn't disclose... Um, the breakdown of your of the tuition. So, how much do you go to faculty, how much is going to you know building facilities, how much is going to all these, um, you know, just general like you know staff like all these, you know, advisors and so on. And like, like, and and I've actually spoken to some people at you know down at the academic office uh, in Gilmore Hall about this, and they did confirm that McMaster um, does not disclose information and has no plans on disclosing this financial information anytime soon. But, you know, as our MSU president, this is something that's, that, that personally really bothers me. So do you feel that this is something that McMaster should be disclosing and that we should be making an effort to have McMaster disclose um, you know, this type of information?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think more transparency would be wonderful. Um, I think, so basically for our tuition, I mean, um, definitely for undergraduate students who are domestic, they I think that the, the current fed, uh, provincial government has frozen tuition temporarily for um, students. So that has meant, at least temporarily, that's been that one factor has not been a growing problem for undergrads who are domestic. But um, we've seen tuition just rise more and more and more for international students, and that is you know really it is so stark the difference in how much tuition is paid for international versus domestic, and that is definitely I think. Um, not an ideal situation by any means. I mean, I definitely think there has to be. Uh, this is something that we actually advocated for to the provincial government as well. Further recognition of that, um, of the burden put on international students and more supports given for McMaster specifically and their tuition framework. Um, I think more transparency would be wonderful. Uh, McMaster does have a general report, I believe, that does outline more general uh, information about how revenues come in. So tuition, government grants, um, third-party collaborations, donations, those pieces, and then what that goes to fund. So, I mean, we can see that, okay, they have X amount of money that came in and X maybe went to capital projects or X went to this, but um, you're right in that. I don't know, did that money come from the government grant? Did that money come from this donation? Did it come from tuition? Um, So I think more information would be Um, useful nonetheless and uh, would be something that, uh, you know, definitely would give students a better understanding of how their money is being spent and what is actually going to education, what might be going to the infrastructure on campus and just give them more surety that what they're paying for is, uh, I guess, what they hope to get from the institution when when they actually accepted their offer.
0: I see. So, you know what I think also is a big problem nowadays is that I think... I think our tuition is expensive, and I don't think um, the provincial government is really in a position to, you know, provide more financial aid. And I think the reason for this is a lot of people are pursuing secondary, post-secondary education um, when they shouldn't be. And I'll explain to you why what I mean, by why shouldn't? I think a lot of kids they're uncertain in high school what they want to do. They tell you, you know, what I think history is interesting. I think I like geography. Mm-hmm. I think I like life sciences, and then they go into that degree with no actual set attainable career path. And uh, number one, they've, they've they've cost themselves forty thousand uh, dollars. They put strain on the education system, and, they, and that did not benefit them. And I think it actually, I'm, I'm really glad that our, you know, our, our, our secondary secondary schools are promoting, uh, you know, more, more careers in the trade because they're very 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 lucrative and i i think they're very in demand and i I think they balance our economy too many people are going to universities and i think that if you're not certain that it is it is your calling and it is what is it is what 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 is for you and it is like you're dead set i don't think that's something that you should be pursuing
1: i mean i think it's very fair that um i i learned about this in my first year when i was in sociology um and uh i mean i of course did a med rather then I went to BDC so I've been science on the health side but it was an elective I took and it was a wonderful course um, and I learned of this term called McDonaldization of Education which has kind of been I think it refers to the the nature of education especially specifically university education went from something that was only used by a small segment of the population and has expanded very greatly in the last few decades especially um, I mean, if you go back to 1950, the number of people who went to university was quite small. While now, Probably
0: those, mo- the rich of the rich, the very wealthy, yeah. can afford yeah. tuitions, so on and so forth. Yeah. No, exactly.
1: And now we have a situation where more than half the population, uh, I believe, uh, who graduates of grade 12 goes to university or some type of higher education, university or college. And um, I think, on the one hand, I think this is amazing the fact that we have the opportunity now to pursue education and develop our skill set. Um, that I think there has to be recognition in society of how to actually appropriately report, uh, reward those skills because um, we have a, a situation in which having a university degree in of itself has much less value than it did in the past. And mm-hmm. this is why, like you mentioned, we have a situation where many people are, they've you know, legitimately put in a lot of work, they've done well, they're successful people who have a lot of amazing skills, but they're in a place in which there are insufficient opportunities for them to showcase those skills and actually excel because um, it's just such a competitive environment. I mean, we see so many of these reports recently of how the environment for job seekers has been more favorable and that is temporarily true but nonetheless it's still very hard if you are coming out from undergrad to get a job in your field that will allow you to showcase all the skills you learned. very often Um, i mean it varies from program to program but that is that is the case and um i think a lot of work has been more on the societal level both by the provincial government the federal and municipalities as well as universities Mm -hmm. to a better inform students of what opportunities are existing, um, better ensure that their educational opportunities align with what work and job opportunities actually exist in the field, and make sure that their skills aren't wasted. Because I feel like we have a time in which um, we aren't giving individuals that sufficient support, and this is why they're not able to excel as much. I mean, our generation is in a state where we have, on average, lower capacity for um, for accruing of wealth the same way that previous generations did, housing prices and real prices of things like food, cars, transportation, all of this is much higher than it used to be in the past because um, even the wages have gone up since, say, 1970. Because of inflation, um, our real wages as um, individuals who live in Canada have only gone up slightly while those other things I mentioned like housing um, transportation costs, food costs have all gone up much more. So, um, we're in a much more precarious place. And I think a lot has to be done on a societal level by different levels of government, by institutions, and by corporations as well to ensure that we are giving people a proper foundation, proper awareness of how they can use education, whether that is university or other college or other means, to actually have a strong skill set and understand where they can then apply that skill set. Because I think that communication and that sharing of knowledge with students has been somewhat lacking. And I think that's a lot of the reason why many people are, you know, legitimately struggling. And I think that's something that uh, really has to be improved in the near future.
0: Okay, so I have two more questions for you, if you don't mind. No, go ahead. First question is, are universities a business? You Think so. I mean, he guys, mm. uh, you guys can't see it, but he nodded. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I mean, they are business, I mean, they, they are non profit entities, but it's kind of a. Uh, I think they're non profits.
0: I think so. Te- yeah, te- Technically speaking, like legally yeah. speaking, well, in Canada, because yeah. public universities, are yeah, nonprofits. like
1: private universities are the, different, like, so. like
0: Harvard's is a for profit exactly, university, exactly. UCLA, uh, for example, isn't, yeah,
1: mm. like. So, I personally think they do in many ways function as business. I mean they aren't like there's clearly a difference between McMaster and say insert random for profit conglomerate company like if you compare McMaster to I don't know McDonald's or Ford or Shell or um Deloitte like those are all companies which are clearly for profit organizations with oh, shareholders I mean,
0: clear you know shareholders, yeah so. So who's and, benefiting, if so is a business, who's benefiting from the, these quote-unquote profits?
1: Yeah, like the thing is, I don't think McMaster's a business in that sense. It clearly isn't. Universities aren't. However, as someone who is basically a client of McMaster, as a student where you're coming in with, your transaction is, I give you money, so you give me skills. That's basically what the university um, relationship is meant to be with a student. Um, and... While it may not be the same as, say, a corporation where you would, you know, pay money to, I don't know, buy a car or buy a shirt like you would with a for-profit business, a traditional one, it's still a relationship in which there is a lot put in by us as students, our time, like literally years of our time, a lot of money, um, a lot of resources. And because of that, we expect a lot in return. Um, inevitably. I mean, if you spend tens of thousands of dollars and multiple years of your life, potentially move to give you a set of skills that will help you ex- uh, succeed, there's a huge onus on that institution to actually showcase it will deliver that. So is our universities' businesses, I mean, they are in the sense that they have to procure funds, but they're not the same as, say, general corporations that are for-profit. However, that does not mean they don't have a huge obligation to students. They don't have to basically do better to ensure what resources they give us and what skills they give us will actually let us excel. And I think there has to be a lot of progress made on that front.
0: I see that. That's fair. So my last question for you is, what are some goals that you um, hope to achieve or that you hope to you know, work towards, I would say, and that you hope that maybe after your time um, as MSU president, um, other people can kind of, you know, uh, carry you know uh, take the torch and move forward mm-hmm. and, and kind of um, follow through mm-hmm. with, with those goals. So, so yes, yeah, so to sum up the question, what are some goals that you hope after your time at the MSU, um, you know, uh, members of the MSU can continue to work towards? Mm.
1: So, very much so. What I mentioned earlier, Open Educational Resources or OERs, which... Um, if you guys need a shorthand, just think of it as free textbooks. That's something that I very much hope continues. I think it's such a huge thing that can, if really like taken in stride and really implement it in the biggest way, can create a can future. Can I just interrupt just to yeah. add one
0: thing? So I'm with you. This is a really important thing, but here's the thing. Textbooks, um, a lot of professors have textbook royalties. So textbooks, these textbook sales all, are profitable for a lot of professors. See, especially all the professors don't.
1: Them. All professors don't. Yeah. Uh, definitely, some do, and I don't think there'll ever be a future where there's no, zero. A lot, a lot. Um, yeah. You think certainly, sure? certainly a lot. But yeah. uh, from what I've learned, I think it is the clear minority. Most texts, most professors like don't write their own textbooks. Mm-hmm. Most instructors don't. Um, there's definitely a few prominent, especially in earlier year courses, where you will see that, oh, this professor has written their textbook. That's still relatively rare. Um, the majority have not written a textbook, uh, at least not necessarily the one they would use for all of their classes. Um, so that's why I think there is a, a very clear future in which the majority of classes, maybe five, ten years from now, don't have a textbook required that requires students to pay an unreasonable amount out of pocket. Um Because it could basically be an OER. So that's one very big thing that I hope is continued because it can make education so much more affordable. This huge cost, paying for textbooks, can be vastly reduced. And it can be a great way in students can have research and opportunities, really develop those skills and be mentored by professors as well. So that's one big thing. In addition, um, some of our sustainability goals, um, specifically because they interrelate with building a stronger Hamilton community, I mentioned reusable containers. This is something that I hope to very much focus on a lot in the near future because it's something that I've deprioritized as other things have been my focus. So I really hope that is continued on specifically because I want it to be a very big piece in which the MSU collaborates with members in the community um, and can be a a deep connection between the students at Mac and those who live in Hamilton. Um, So if I had to say two items, I would definitely say those. Um, But I guess I'll add a third one as well. I think in the pandemic we had a big loss of kind of that sense of community that existed just because people were you know they literally weren't on campus and many of those amazing experiences that I was privileged to have in my first and second year many students were not able to have because they were you know working from home studying from home and weren't able to um quite literally be present for them because they weren't in on campus so I'm very hopeful with this year with many of the events the MSU's have, have sorry many of the events the MSU's having um and the return of in person i really hope it can foster that sense of community and um make sure that it's reinvigorated for the future
0: so promise you one last 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 question <laughs> you said that, like
1: seven questions ago <laughs> 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 it's okay go ahead, go ahead i said
0: three questions i'll just play okay, okay so no this is this is the last one for sure so just kind of end off on a lighthearted uh tone or, or mood per se um, tell me a funny MSU office story, an embarrassing MSU story. I feel like the reason I'm asking this is because I've heard a lot. <laughs> you, I hear that you guys have fun here. I hear that you guys, you guys, you guys work hard, but you guys have fun. Mm. So I want to hear some. I want to hear some like some funny MSU uh, office stories for the record.
1: No, for sure. I mean, um, that's definitely one thing that I mean. In this time here i had an amazing opportunity to meet with people who of course work at mac whether they're students whether they're faculty members um, administrators people who are in the community but definitely the experiences i'll cherish most are the amazing people i've worked who are actually in the msu so all of our full-time staff everybody from who works um, in our child care center those who work for um, some sort of our business units um, those who work in accounting in our services the underground campus events um, the sill Um, You name it. I mean there's so many amazing people I've met with and I've been so happy to work with them because I've really developed such a good strong professional relationship with them but many of these people as well are people who I generally view as friends who I hope to keep in touch with even after my time is done at the MSU and um, That's been so wonderful and I'm very grateful for all of them to give a funny story I mean um, my uh, I, I feel like Elizabeth will be uh annoyed that I'm going to share this, but it's fine. Um, so I very much like tennis, I mean, it's my favorite sport without a doubt. And relatively recently, I developed an interest in skating as well. So, um, with tennis, I'll just like in the office without a tennis racket, without a tennis ball, I'll pretend to serve and just um, you know, pretend like I'm like in the hallway. And then if she's nearby, she'll just pretend to hit it back. And we've had these moments. It happens at least once a week where we're just, like, pretending to play tennis in the hallway. Kind of, like, we're maybe walking between a meeting each of us. And just for, like, 10 seconds, we just are, like, grunting and, like, ah, ah, like, just in the middle of the office. And then the staff always find it funny. And then um, I brought up skating because every now and then I'll just – I've been trying to do the skating jumps. I literally cannot skate just so everybody knows, like um, – oh,
0: Same here. I can't – I haven't – Yeah.
1: Like, I learned how to skate when I was young because – um uh, I actually lived in Newfoundland as a random thing when I was young. Really? Yeah. Because um, we're learning, this, we're learning <laughs> so
0: much about similism.
1: Yeah. And um, I learned to skate there, but I haven't skated since I was 12. So I'm like 99% sure if I went on an ice rink, I would be like a beginner. But um, yeah, I've just kind of on the ground been trying to do some of the jumps. Um, I'm very bad. And like I promise to you, I'm literally not at all in any way a professional Um but um i'll do that occasionally every now and then and um, it's something amusing as well so yeah i hope that was a nice a nice story that uh your president and vp education will randomly pretend to play tennis um in the hallway for only for five seconds every now and then, just to decompress yeah, guys, don't, they're, they're,
0: they're they're busy out there they're busy they're busy they only get they only got those five second breaks <laughs> well Simon, i want to thank you so much for coming on to the podcast uh Thanks so much for your time. I know I know you're quite busy, so it means a lot that you, know, you came on. It was it was a pleasure having you, and uh, it was a pleasure you know speaking with you. Hopefully, we'll have you on you know another time. And uh, um, yeah, guys. I'll
1: yeah, no, it so. was it was a pleasure. I mean, thank you, Michael, for inviting me. Um, it was an amazing opportunity. I mean, um, just so you all know, Michael's an SR member as well. So if you're in commerce, he's your elected representative. So please reach out to him if you need anything. And I'm also also your elected representative. So please reach out at Uh, president at msu.mcmaster.ca. If you ever need anything, have any questions, need any support. um, And yeah, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the wonderful questions. And I really hope to all those listening, it was an amazing uh, experience to learn more about the MSU and maybe be more involved as well. Um, Yeah, I will be more than happy to return in the future. I hope everyone has a wonderful day. Thank you.